that you have to get your hands dirty uh, you can't do a startup with a corporate mindset when people tell me that i can't do something i will do whatever it takes to prove them wrong life mein na do tarah se compensate hote ho aap uh, one is your earning and one is your learning fundamentally each has always been good karo I'm your host Akshay Dat and you're listening to Spotlight a podcast in which I speak to disruptive startup founders I'm Dhawan I'm the founder of uh, Dana Mojo and uh, very glad to be on the show with you today Philanthropy or charitable giving has always been a part of our DNA Think of kings giving gold coins to temples or think of the Sikh community offering free langar meals to just about anybody but like everything else philanthropy is also changing the next generation of philanthropists are no longer happy stuffing cash in a box they want to give digitally they want to be digitally engaged and this is where a startup like dana mojo comes in dana mojo is building the shopify of philanthropy helping ngos to digitize the process of collecting donations and engaging with donors Dhawal the founder of Dana Mojo quit a well paying consulting job to enter the non-profit world and he shares his journey of creating impact at scale by giving digital tools to non-profit organizations I had actually volunteered with uh, Give India for a couple of years while I was at Eri uh, Kani uh, uh, and that volunteering was never from the perspective that I should join it later that volunteering was very from the perspective of doing something extra co-curricular right you always have some interest you know somebody has painting somebody has a thing for me this was a outlet for my technology passion uh, in reality so i was handling their technology and operations while i was volunteering with them i was handling their online giving while i was volunteering by the end of two years i was handling half their team uh, just volunteering with them uh, and uh, so to me it was more an outlet for my technology passion this was like a product manager kind of a role yeah that was not a term that was existed back then uh, but uh, i mean I, i would probably say that this was a role that was more a chief of operations because everything operations i was handling everything online giving i was handling so everything related to tech or online i was handling uh, all of that uh, in a volunteer capacity uh, spending about 15 20 hours a week uh, doing that So you were looking at operations from the angle of how can we automate it to make it smoother? Absolutely, yeah. So a lot of automation stuff that we had done back then uh, as well, uh, and that's something that interested me, and I was uh, doing that. Uh, and uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, from a compensation perspective, I took a eighty percent hit when when I joined uh, Given Gas. What made you? What like did they tell you please join us or like what made that happen? Oh yeah, they've been pursuing me for two years or the two and a half years that I was volunteering with them. Uh, so they were asking me to join, you know, continuously, and I hadn't found a good enough reason uh, to join. Uh, but I think the biggest reason why I joined was I felt that there were people with a lot more passion, a lot more interest, uh, role models that I could see for myself, uh, things which I had, uh, you know, that I really aspired to in my career in my journey. uh i want to be in a place where i aspire to be like somebody else who's there uh you know to grow and learn from such people uh, and that was something i found was present at uh, give india and uh, from a from a compensation perspective you know i was uh, a single back then staying in parents home in bombay uh, you know you don't really have too many expenses and i'm not an extravagant person simple lifestyle You really don't have too many expenses in such a case. And plus, when you're in a management consulting job, you actually don't spend anything. 
And yes, you have to take that cut in the beginning, but I can assure you that the within two years you will reach a space wherein you will be very comfortable, if not at the original level, right? Even if you get uh, you know sixty percent, seventy percent of what you get in a management company, you are actually very comfortable. Much of what you make is really going towards savings, uh, especially if you have your own house, you are staying in a parents' house. Then it's a very it's a no-brainer. I know if you have to rent a house and all, it's a much bigger thing. But yeah, I mean some of these things. Just combine and you know start making sense for people. Uh, so I think that makes a big difference because, and this reason is because in the beginning, the non-profit doesn't know how good or you know how good you are, how capable you are, and it will take them a bit of time to figure that out. But once they do and they see that value in you, which will be very visible in three to six months, then you can start getting paid a lot better. So they don't have the appetite to take risk on you. But once you've proven yourself, you've shown yourself. I don't think that salary today, especially, is a challenge in the social space. Uh, yes, it will never match up to the for-profit space, uh, but it will be something which will be hugely comfortable and completely okay to kind of, you know, not just survive on but thrive on. Did you join as the CEO? Because I can see that uh, CEO is the title you have on LinkedIn. So you joined them as the CEO. No, I joined as this head of uh, technology operations, online giving uh, itself, uh, which I did for about a couple of years, uh, and post that I became the CEO. So you took over from the founder, like till then it was founder run. Right, sir. So it was founder run uh, till I joined, and then the founder had already hired a CEO. So uh, when that person retired after two years, is when I took on the position of the CEO. Tell me about that that whole stint. I think you spent six seven years there, right? Yeah, I spent more than six years out there. That's right. Uh, so I think it was a fantastic stint. I think one of the things I keep telling people is there is no, you know, we always have this guilt conscious of what we are selling. Uh, you know, whichever job we are in, we have to sell something or the other, right? Uh, we are always selling, uh, and people always have this thing that am I selling the right thing? Am I selling too much of it? Uh, selling soap, selling sweetened water, selling uh, chips, and you know, all the guilt conscious that goes with it. And here I was selling giving. uh and how can you feel bad about selling giving right like i never felt bad about it for one day in my life telling people that you should give more to people who are unprivileged and that was the beauty of it that's what i really loved about it uh was that we were selling something which is to make life people's lives better while not significantly making any kind of negative impact on anybody else's life in fact you are further improving the quality of their life uh and it's a lot of it intangible but definitely improving the quality of their life To that process, I like. I don't know anyone who has said I gave so much that I'm feeling bad about it. Uh, I think people will only say that I gave so little that I, you know, I feel bad. I wish I could have given more. Uh, and I think that has been the most amazing part of the journey. Uh, I think that at the stage where I got into the organization, the organization was in a lot of flux in terms of uh, trying out various things and then abandoning them. Uh, I think we took three specific initiatives. And said, "Hey, you know, we need to stick to some of these things and work towards growing them, because uh, almost anything can work, and almost everything will not work if you don't try hard enough." 
So Give India is essentially like a aggregator, right? It aggregates demand and supply in a single platform. Like your supply being donors who want to give and demand being noble causes which are seeking money. Uh, we, thought, we thought of it completely the other way around. So it's a philanthropy marketplace where you have supply in the form of causes that need attention. And demand is coming from the donors uh, who want to give to this, uh, whose demand is being met through these causes. So, uh, and, and this is an important differentiation because for us, the, the customer was actually the donor. The customer was never the NGO. So our focus was on always saying, how do we meet the needs of the customer? Uh, how do we ensure that the customer is well met? Because only the customer, in this case, the donor, is satisfied when we donate more, right? Uh, and in that sense, what do we have to do on the supply side, on the NGO side, to keep making sure that the donor donates more? Uh, always keep satisfying the donor. So, and it was in a place where it was, uh, uh, so it was very much like the Amazon of today. So, these, these NGOs could like uh, sign up and create a profile and then list a cause and there would be some sort of KYC norms that, that they would have to undergo. Yeah, so we used to, yeah, we used to uh, undertake a pretty rigorous due diligence of these NGOs. And uh, it was so rigorous that a lot of organizations use GiveIndia as a proxy. So they would say that, okay, if you are GiveIndia registered, then we'll consider you for funding. Again, back then in that day, there was no formal CSR funding, but the, you know, funding by corporates that would happen, a lot of them would say, even institutionally. So we were very well regarded amongst that, you know, we have a very, very strict process, almost a pain, uh, back-breaking, painful process. Most NGOs used to hate us for it, abuse us for it. Uh, but they were, but also love us for it at the same time because they understood the value that it got to them not just in terms of funding from us from other sources but also in terms of just getting their own house in order ensuring their own documentation ensuring their own uh, records were in place given they have played a big role in making a lot of that happen so if you speak even today to some of those organizations they would say that that's the biggest value add that this process got for them so like you would ask them for their books of accounts, uh, like audited books of accounts and stuff like that as a way to make sure that it's a genuine uh, NGO? No, we did a lot of uh, due diligence. So uh, not just that. So uh, we followed what I would call is the equivalence of a SEBI norm for a listed company uh, for NGOs. I mean, obviously watered down to a significant extent, but the idea was you want to do a governance diligence of these organizations uh, from the extent of saying, you know, what is your uh, senior management paid? to how much you spend on travel, to what are your disclosure norms, what are your HR norms, uh, a lot of that. We would go through the book of accounts, but the book of accounts also an audited statement. So we don't want to, we don't necessarily question that part of it, but we look at it to mention that we even have one. I think you have to start from the stage of where an organization is, right? That might not be a problem for many companies, uh, or actually it is. You know, if you look at private unlisted companies, that's probably what you should ask for to begin with. Uh, and the same thing was true with NGOs. So you want to make sure that they're filing returns, they have income tax statements, their registrations are in order. All of these things are things that you want to uh, ensure. But far beyond that, we used to visit every single organization uh, as well at the stage of ver uh, verification. We used to sit with their team, we used to understand their programs. We did not, uh, we were not okay with just the financial statement that you gave us. We would ask you to open your tally and actually look at the data inside tally sitting out there with the accountant. So if you said that an education of a child costs 500 rupees a month, we wanted to see in your tally that you were actually spending 500 rupees a month on that education of a child. We wanted to see that uh, cataract surgery that you claimed was 3,500 
is actually costing three and a half thousand in your book of accounts. Uh, so we would get into the book of accounts uh, in such a way we would go and visit beneficiaries. So very randomly we would go and pick where if we go into villages. I've done that myself quite a lot, uh, and ask that person themselves that you know have you got this benefit? Uh, you know, did your child get an education? Did your child get a, a school bag? Did he get a notebooks? Uh, and we would actually go around visiting uh, beneficiaries very very randomly without the knowledge of the NGO uh, and uh, verify this information. Hmm, got it. Okay. And how would the organization uh, meet its expenses? Uh, like there would be a commission charged or what? Like so, uh, da, yeah. Da, uh, so, Gimindia used to reach, uh, used to charge uh, donors an additional amount of ten percent uh, for providing all of these services, right? This due diligence and every donor on their donation got a feedback report as well. So, uh, it was fairly pioneering at that stage because there was no organization which was doing something that I mean, there was no organization. Even enabling online payments, forget uh, you know doing any of this kind of stuff. So uh, there was a lot of value add that uh, we used to provide at that time uh, on many of these things. And uh, I'm assuming you would have been able to convert one-time donors into repeat donors, uh, like in terms of getting them to commit to a monthly amount instead of just a random one-time amount. So I think that uh, monthly donations. Was a separate program that we had as part of payroll giving. Uh, we used to run a payroll giving with companies, uh, about 125 or 150 companies across India. Uh, some of the largest uh, companies uh, like ICICI Bank, HDFC, uh, Chenpat, uh, all of these, wherein uh, their employees used to give a particular amount from their payroll month on month, uh, and that was our largest program, both from a amount of money as well as a uh, number of donors perspective. So you were telling me you decided to focus on three areas. Yeah, so these three areas, one was payroll giving, uh, like I mentioned, which which initially was our largest area. Uh, the second area, which was kind of fledgling, just starting off was online giving. Uh, and the third area that we looked at, which we started uh, back then, was H&I giving. I thought it was online giving from day one. It wasn't, is it? Like no, it was there, but it was in a fledgling state uh, in terms of compared to other, uh, you know, vertical like compared to payroll giving. It was in a very small state. One of the things that Give India had pioneered and had run for a while was marathons, uh, doing charity in marathons right from 2003 when the Bombay Marathon first started uh, up to 2008. But then uh, it stopped doing marathons, so uh, that was the largest chunk of you know, from a vertical perspective. And once it stopped doing marathons, then payroll giving became the largest. But uh, online was a very, very fledgling, small source uh, back then. And uh, we said, you know, these are the three areas that we should, uh, that we try to work on, focus on. And by the time I left, uh, each of them was uh, contributing about one third. What made you leave Give India and, you know, become an entrepreneur? Like, tell me about that journey. So I think uh, when you spend uh, uh, some time in an organization, uh, and you obviously realize that uh, there are other things that can help this journey of giving. Uh, but an organization uh, is not your organization. So it is an organization which has its way of doing things, uh, philosophy, ideas, and wants to do things in a certain way. Uh, and sometimes you need a fresh start uh, to think things from first principle, from the ground up and say, hey, how do you hasten this journey of giving? How do you make it a lot more, uh, make it possible for people to give? Uh, one of the things that I saw happen significantly is while there were, we had a lot of first-time donors, people who would give for the first time, but after they've given, they would now want to go and give directly to the NGO because they had discovered the nonprofit on our platform. 
So we used to bear the cost of acquisition and not have the benefits of retention. Right now, you know that acquisition is more expensive, retention is more uh, less expensive, more valuable, higher value, all of that nice stuff. But we didn't get the benefit of that. Uh, so we thought. So I thought that you know this is something we need to look at uh, as one element. How do you make sure that a retained donor also stays on your own platform? The second thing that we uh, that I saw was that unless uh, giving is a very push-oriented business, you have to ask for donations to get donations, right? And uh, you can only ask for don- you. And once you ask for donation, you get a donation. You need to engage with the donor. You engage with the donor, and then you are able to retain a donor. As an intermediary organization, uh, Givendia would not have as much ability to engage with the donor because it was not running the program themselves. It was not doing the activity themselves. So the one who will have the most ability to engage the donor is the NGO on the ground, is the eventual NGO, right? So we said we need to give, we need to create a more direct channel between the donor as well as the NGO, and allow them to converse with each other, allow them to engage with each other, and that is what our goal was, uh, has become at Dana Mojo. Uh, is to allow this direct conversation to happen, engagement to build up, uh, and for us to play that role of providing the tools, the system, the training, if I, if we might, towards making that happen. So you essentially felt that instead of uh, building a e-commerce company, let's build a Shopify. That's how I actually describe it. So we are like a Shopify plus a Razorpay kind of thing. Uh, the differences uh, that we found in in this universe of our customers is that 80% of them had websites. So you did not, you were not trying to build a website because the website existed. So now you have to build something within that website only. Uh, you know, unlike Shopify where you build the entire website, here you're building within that website. So what we built with Dana Mojo is a widget which does your end-to-end e-commerce on that site. Uh, just like you have, if you go to Amazon, you first have to select a product. You will then add the product to your cart. You will then enter all your information and then you will make a payment, get your product, you know, get the invoice and obviously the product and service. Now, all of this part, you have to build, right? The payment gateway you will integrate with, you don't have to build a payment gateway, but the rest of it, every merchant has to build on their site. And that's quite a task. You know, that's not a straightforward enough thing for an NGO. Uh, Most people who integrate a payment gateway are people who are anyway technology companies. You know, the business is online, they build technology. But NGOs are not technology companies. Their business is not online. How can we expect them to be very good? You know, first of all, build this and then be very good at it. Because the donor who is going to give on any NGO's website is the same donor who is purchasing tickets on Make My Trip or Book My Show or buying stuff on Flipkart and Amazon. And they want that level of user experience, that level of uh, you know smooth checkout flow. So that's what we went out to build. So we want to build this end-to-end system. Uh, not just create a small payment gateway. Uh, you know, there's no value in that really. There are so many of them around. Uh, we want to build this end-to-end system and try and, uh, you know, get NGOs to adopt it, make life simple for them. Uh, be For them to be able to manage the system without having any technology experience, expertise. Uh, and, the th- and what we always aim for is that our system is very good if the NGO doesn't have to actually use it. It's self-working. It's automated completely. What made you want to do this as an entrepreneur and, you know, like take that risk and put in money and because, you know, you're building a tech product. So obviously it needs investment in building that. And, you know, so, so what made you want to take that path? A partial reason for joining Give India was also to be 
to learn about entrepreneurship to be an uh, entrepreneur in the form of an entrepreneur at least but i thought you know someday somewhere i do want to start my own uh, organization like i said i've always been interested in this idea of uh, getting you know compensated for uh, your outcomes not your effort so that was always there in the back of my mind but my you know as i was a ceo of given ya i felt yaar ye to mere bas ki baat nahi hai building an organization is too much zero to one is too damn difficult i'm anyway finding one to ten so difficult that zero to one to pata nahi kaise hone wala hai uh, so i actually given up at that stage i said nahi bas nahi karna hai humko mere ko ye main i will go back to a job i will keep doing that however when this idea struck me that you know i think i can change how ngos collect donations online and this is a chance at transforming an entire industry transforming how an entire sector operates uh, it just felt too fantastic it just felt very amazing and i said hey i don't want to now give this up and i have this idea so i'm not an ideas man like, i don't get too many ideas initially i'm like i said i'm not a entrepreneur i'm more accidental there is a idea aaya pehle to kabhi aata nahi tha ek idea aaya now let me try and uh, see how i can uh, you know make this happen and uh, i will regret all my life if i don't give this a shot right and that's not something i like or i want to do uh, i definitely want to give this a shot uh, and uh, very interesting i didn't actually think of it initially to begin with ki chalo company banate that was always there uh, not that wasn't there uh, but you know that's not like the way it is today right the default is okay let's start our own company start company get angel investing correct correct so that was not the case back then uh about 7 years ago and i so i actually went to many uh, payment gateway companies first and i said hey why don't you think about this as a specific uh, vertical in your thing but i think it has a lot of potential uh went and met two three i mean went and met a few of them uh they didn't bite it they couldn't you know they didn't think it was very great uh, type of thing so when i nobody to you cc avenue all of those which are there available back there तो किसी को मतलब मजा नहीं आ रहा था मतलब आई रियलाइज दिस वाज वेरी स्मॉल बकेट फॉर देम एंड व्हाट आई आल्सो रियलाइज नॉट जस्ट फ्रॉम साइड बट आल्सो फ्रॉम द एनजीओ साइड एंड व्हिच इज वन ऑफ द रीजंस आई डू दे वांट टू डू दिस इज दैट व्हाई इट वाज वेरी इजी फॉर अ फॉर प्रॉफिट कंपनी टू गेट अ पेमेंट गेटवे इट वाज वेरी डिफिकल्ट फॉर अ नॉन प्रॉफिट सो इफ यू आर अ फॉर प्रॉफिट यू कुड लाइक लिटरली लॉग इन ऑनलाइन 2 मिनट में यू गेट अ पेमेंट गेटवे बट नॉन प्रॉफिट टू यू स्ट्रगल 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 अनलेस यू आर अ लार्ज वन वेरी वेरी डिफिकल्ट to get one you know there no logic no reason just general well you know not big value more risk uh, the government the banks don't want to touch you because you are not very worthwhile so well there is just too much discrimination and for me this is also a way of saying why should there be discrimination in our society here is a entity which the government has allowed to accept donations and just like any other for profit and it should be allowed to function run and get all the services that are required Uh, so there other reason that you know i said hey, you know that's what we want that's why we should do this and uh, but not just build only the payment gateway build a lot more uh, around it uh, and that's how we kind of uh, went down this journey so i went to some of these guys they said no uh, then i went to an existing crowdfunding platform uh, you know i went more in terms of saying hey these are my thoughts what do you say so friends in the sector uh, do you think this makes sense type of thing and so they were like uh, you know why don't you come and join us types uh and do it and i was also quite you know yeah, that you know good because i don't have to set all this up mera ye anyway bas ki baat nahi hai i'm not this entrepreneur type of guy and i get flustered and uh, yeah that's great because i'll get a ready made platform from which to work and all a lot of the i can get down straight to work i don't have to figure out a lot of other stupid thing that one has to do as you start a company uh so we had a fair amount of dialogues discussions and then they went blank 
completely silent i didn't learn from them uh, at the end of one month i realized i just wasted one month of my time uh, and then that's and uh, and i spoke with few some other people a, a vc person actually and i told him you know this has happened and you know i wanted to do this but i don't want to get into this data majority of figuring out office space and accountants and audit practices and policies and you know all of this has come in built and he made a very very uh, important point he said so that's what you have to do that is if you cannot even do that then how can you run anything uh, so this is part and parcel of the cycle and you you are far better of just starting off on your own than trying any more and wasting any more time among such people uh and that made a lot of sense to me uh i it really made sense to me so hey you know yeah you have to do all this this that's what an entrepreneurship is about uh and uh, so we uh, went in uh, started off i was lucky enough at that stage that i had another person who with whom i worked with at givindia who initially joined me on this uh, journey as a co-founder uh but yeah, i mean yeah, so that actually also gave me the confidence ki chalo koi to hai saath mein ये करने के लिए टाइम ऑफ टाइम आई लाइक दैट एंड दैट आई वाज देयर सो स्टार्टेड विद योर ओन सेविंग्स लाइक टू टू बिल्ड बिकॉज़ यू नीडेड टू बिल्ड अ टेक्नोलॉजी प्रोडक्ट फर्स्ट राइट राइट या सो एवरीथिंग राइट टेक्नोलॉजी प्रोडक्ट टीम अ लॉट ऑफ इन्वेस्टमेंट एट दैट बिफोर यू इवन स्टार्ट जनरेटिंग सम रेवेन्यू सो यस सो आई स्टार्टेड विद माय सेविंग आई टुक आउट व्हाटएवर आई थॉट आई एम आई विल सरवाइव विद द रेस्ट इफ आई डोंट मेक दिस इन द नेक्स्ट टू इयर्स एंड माय वाइफ वाज एक्सट्रीमली सपोर्टिव शी आल्सो Uh, pulled in half the money uh, as well and gave me a lot of confidence um, and uh, that said you know chalo ye dal dete and we were actually willing we were uh, at that stage we had said we'll commit x and we were okay to even commit up to 2x uh, if things uh, worked out and if you know, things were going well and so we we had that sort of mind ki yaar itna to hum dal hi sakte hain fir isme nahi hoga to yaar i am andabas hai job to mil hi jayega baad mein so that was the thought process as we uh, started out you like hired a tech team or did you go to a vendor to get this developed and like you know tell me about the product launch like what product did you build and go to market with so we didn't hire a tech team uh, initially in fact even to till date we don't have a internal tech team uh, it's just far more cheaper to uh, have a tech team outsourced uh, especially if you don't have a tech co-founder i think if you, you need a tech co-founder to have a tech team in house a uh, lot of advantages even in house and but at least you don't have then uh it's a lot more cheaper when it's outside so uh, so we started with that we built what we call as an integrated payment solutions platform at a very simplistic level as you correctly said it's a shopify plus a razor pay uh, functionality for ngos so it ensures it provides the entire end to end system that i just explained about amazon giving the amazon example uh, right from the point of a donor selecting what you know what causes he wants to donate for uh ensuring legal compliance making sure that all the information that is required legally is collected uh may, providing the payment options and generating the atg receipt and sending that off to him as well and then from an ngo perspective we also provide a lot of engagement features so they can send newsletters to these donors we run engagement campaigns so, so like you you built a newsletter tool like a mailchimp kind of a tool yes like a mailchimp type of thing uh it's essentially today you know, we are evolving it towards a crm for ngos uh where also the ngos you know they should use it to the extent they want to use it because they are aware that they don't have the bandwidth and that time and the people who have uh, who don't have the bandwidth don't have the expertise uh the people who have the expertise you know have the expertise don't have the bandwidth so 
we want to make a tool where if they want to do something what they can but if they don't want to do it will yet function the way it is functioning so that's what we built out uh, and then over period of time we added more platforms so we started the one time platform we now have a recurring platform we have a qr code based platform uh, we're going to soon be adding an offline module we're soon going to be adding a donor dashboard uh, so a lot of other things that we've uh, been uh, adding over the last 5 years now what was version 1 product like what 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 was the pitch to an ngo for the version 1 product like uh, just basically a donation workflow is automated pitch for the first 100 ngos was literally a payment gateway they said because that was the pain point the back then no one used to get a payment gateway so i tried to tell you the evolution in the space 5 years ago we would people would be asking us acha tum kya dete ho batao you know 2 years later it became what is a payment gateway today the conversation is what are your charges Okay, so that is how we have seen the evolution. That today we don't have to explain what is a payment gateway. We can talk a little bit more about what we really are. Uh, but back then it was a payment gateway. In fact, you know, I like I would prefer to call myself as a donation management system, which is what we really are. But NGOs will not understand that. We also know that we are providing much. We are providing more than that, and what we are really providing that NGOs want is a payment gateway in different forms and sizes and variations. Which is why we call ourselves a payment solutions platform today. So it's easier to make that uh, pitch and for them to understand us. Payment is payment gateway is something related. That's when they start listening to us. Okay, okay. And uh, what are your charges? Well, we have multiple plans and many charges. Uh, would love to take anyone who's uh, you know who wants to through a demo. And uh, I always tell my team first show what value we provide. Uh, then only people will understand uh, why we charge what we charge. so uh, very simply put i would say we are a premium player we actually charge what looks like more than a payment gateway but when you consider a total cost of ownership perspective i would very easily say it's the cheapest option given all the variety of options that we provide so why don't you give like a audio demo and uh, explain how that justifies the price like you know instead of a instead of a demo through a screen share like right now you could you could do it like an audio demo and talk about sure So, uh, Dana Mojo is an integrated payment solutions platform. Uh, we have close to thousand NGOs on our platform. We are supported by Rohini Nilikani and the Tata Trust, and uh, won many prizes for our offering, including notably from Nascom uh, for our digital social, uh, the digital social uh, innovation awards, uh, and uh, been part of many incubators and accelerators as well, including from ISD, uh, Zone Startups, and so on. Uh, our NGOs are spread across thirty states of India. and what we offer is much more than a simple payment gateway in fact we encapsulate in what we call the five p's uh from choice so donors can donate to specific options you as the ngo can create multiple donation products on our platform and donors can donate to whatever they want out there second is compliance through which we ensure peace of mind for you 100% legal compliance from a fundraising perspective and one which is continuously evolving So the, so the NGO, uh, government says you have to collect certain details for uh, all donors. In certain cases, you have to uh, you have to collect some more details. For foreign donors, you have to create different details. Correct. Like you need a PAN number, but if you don't have a PAN number, you can have something else. If you donate about fifty thousand, you need something. If you donate about two lakhs, you need something else. Uh, so various things are there which are required, and all of that is something we ensure that there there is full compliance along with it. Like a donor KYC is needed basically, and you take care of that donor KYC. Yeah, we take care of that donor KYC completely. The third thing is convenience of payments. So all kinds of payment options from one time 
so recurring, so QR code, the typical credit card, net banking, uh, EMI options, all of that is something we provide. Very notably, we also provide international payment options, which is something which most NGOs will really find it difficult to get from any payment gateway. In fact, even some of the largest NGOs that we have seen do not have the option of an international payment gateway. Why is that so hard? So I think it's just a question of not understanding it well enough. Uh, you know, payment gateways don't have this expertise on the charity front, on the nonprofit front to understand it. Uh, NGOs are a lot of times led astray by their own advisors and uh, auditors around what it is because auditors also many times are not very charity oriented. And the biggest problem is that, you know, when we're talking about payments, finance and all of that, this comes under RBI, Ministry of Finance. But the FCRA under which uh, NGOs are governed for foreign donations comes under Ministry of Home Affairs. And so our payment systems are not geared to tackle the issues that the Home Affairs Ministry wants to tackle. So you need to build a specialized solution to manage that situation, uh, which obviously a payment gateway is not going to build because they are not focused on this space. They are more horizontal players. Like uh, the Home Ministry doesn't want uh, funding to go to terrorism, for example, through the garb of uh, NGO funding. Correct. And they also, so the way they classify is saying, you know, you should, any from any donor who is a foreign donor, uh, you should, uh, you know, accept donation only for certain NGOs and it should only go into a certain account. But our financial system cannot figure out who is a foreign donor. Our financial system can only figure out if a donation is in US dollars or Indian currency. It is coming from uh, India or coming from the US. It is uh, coming from a bank account in the UK or a bank account in India. It cannot figure out citizenship and nationality of the donor. That is not there in our financial system. But the guidelines require you to know that when you have to take the money. So these two systems are not interlinked. They don't work together and you need something else in the layer to make sure you are yet managing for this. I know, so this is something which is fairly complex and most people mistake in it. Or you know, the bank will tell the NGO that uh, international uh, FCRA ke liye international donation payment gateway not allowed. Right? So NGO will believe that. If bank ne bola to not allowed, to not allowed. So uh, there are a lot of misconceptions going on in, in this uh, way. And also when you create a system, it has to be legally compliant in many ways. And the financial system cannot be legally compliant unless you build a layer on top of it. Right? And most payment gateways will not build that layer, which is what we are doing. We are building that layer to be compliant. So uh, that is something we have to do and uh, we are able to do. So we, we are able to work with larger NGOs as well. Uh, it's also cost protected because a lot of things that NGOs do offline or do in a manual fashion, we are automating it. So like sending out an ATG receipt, right? Creating an e-receipt and sending it out. While it might seem so basic and obvious, you know, we've been doing airline tickets for 20 years now. But uh, even if you go to large NGOs today, there are NGOs which will say that 35 days ke baad we will send a receipt. Right? Even the largest NGO will say 3 din ke baad you will get a receipt and they will be very happy about it. Uh, which is really stupid in today's day and age. You know, donors are not expecting this. Donors want it to happen immediately. So all of this is something that uh, we are able to provide. And the last thing is communication with the donor. So through this uh, MailChimp-like tool, a newsletter tool, engagement campaigns, so engagement campaigns are things which we run on behalf of the NGO, where the NGO then, yeah, so the NGO gets 10% extra donations from these campaigns based on our own study and research, we're getting 10% more. So that's what we talk to them about saying, you know, when you look at our pricing and it looks expensive, factor on all these things, 
and then see whether we are more expensive or less expensive than others. Correct. But, but what is the pricing now? Let's let's also get that number out of you. What percentage do you charge? We have multiple plans. Uh, we charge a subscription fee for the platform, which ranges from three to nine thousand rupees annually, and a transaction charge, which ranges from about three percent to ten percent. Okay, depending on volume, like high volume will be lower charge. Depending on whatever plan the end user chooses, depending on whatever plan they choose, depending on uh, platform. How do you build a payment gateway? Like when you first decided you want to do this, like is it easy to build a payment gateway? Is it like just plug and play, or uh, is it like you have to go to each and every bank? And... So yeah, we do want to build a payment gateway. Like I said, I think payment gateways exist. We have created a wrapper around the payment gateway meant specifically for the NGO sector. So we use existing payment gateways and we have wrapped them in a layer which is suited for the NGO sector. So we didn't have to go do all of that stuff. Asset light approach, basically, and uh, which also makes your go-to-market much faster than it, I guess in a matter of like a month or two, you would have been able to go to market. Yeah, I think we built the solution on about three months. It took us about three months to build the solution and we were able to launch it and uh, take it forward. And then, yeah, we've continuously been improving on it. Tell me about your customer acquisition strategy. Like, how do you acquire customers? And like, you know, uh, obviously... You probably had some initial network, right? Like from from the Give India stint, uh, your early customers must have come through that network. Right. Yeah, so I think um, uh, the good thing about the NGO space is there are lots of databases available. Um, I would in fact say that I did not approach any of the Give India NGOs initially uh, directly. I only approached NGOs which I knew uh, and uh, which I found from databases which were there around us. We were operating from Bangalore. So we actually said, let's go to the rural areas of Bangalore and find NGOs and test out our hypothesis around our onboarding process. So we said we will do a completely digital onboarding process. And we were a little, my, my co-founder was a little uncertain that, yeah, will the rural NGOs have digital, uh, you know, scanned copies of everything? And we said, so I told him, you know, why don't you figure it out? Why don't you find that out? You know, take a trip into the rural heartland and uh, start visiting them and seeing what they have. And uh, so that's exactly what he did. Don't you need that NGO to already have a website like you are providing a widget on the website or you're providing something that they can use even if they don't have a website, like they don't need to integrate with the website? We provide both. Uh, the widget is there on the website. We also provide a branded web page. So that functions like a one-page donation website for the NGO and uh, they can just use that to uh, do everything as well without a website. So that will be something like uh, danamojo.org slash uh, and then the name of the NGO. Correct. So, so something like what Instamojo, uh, have have you heard of Instamojo? Like, like they have something similar. Yeah, yeah. so now everyone provides that. Razorpay has Razorpay pages, Instamojo has always had it. Was the name Danamojo in any way inspired by <laughs> that? No, it was definitely not inspired by Instamojo. Uh, I think the, na- the name was really, the idea for me was that it has got to be a global name. Uh, and I said that uh, if it has to be a global name, it has to be a fusion of two languages, one is Sanskrit, from which the languages of the Eastern world uh, have its origins, and Latin, the language from which the Western world has its origins. So Dana, as you know, is a Sanskrit word for giving, uh, and Mojo, uh, Dana, is you know, the way we do it in Sanskrit, so Dana is giving, and Mojo means magic. Uh, one of the meanings of Mojo is magic in Latin. Because we believe that giving is magical. Uh, so we tell everyone experience the magic of giving and that's how the name uh, Dana Mojo came about. 
So you were telling me the customer acquisition that your co-founder decided to make trips to rural Bangalore to see if... So he, he visited about 20 organizations across a week in rural Bangalore and we found everyone had digital copies of their registration certificate. And that, so the onboarding was quite simple. Ho gaya. And uh, initially we were giving the platform away for uh, free. We were not charging any subscription fee. Uh, in fact, it was never in our plan to charge it initially. We, that's how we... Only the transaction charge is what we thought we would charge. And... Uh, uh, and then we also kind of uh, released it to a very to a select audience before we launched the campaign. So even before we launched the platform, we had 100 NGOs who had signed up with us, whose paperwork was completed. So literally the week after we launched the platform, we went live with these 100 organizations. And uh, Postland has uh, largely been a, a journey wherein we've reached out to organizations uh, through various means. Email has been our primary mechanism. But what we've also done is we've done workshops, fundraising workshops in various cities. Uh, we've run webinars, uh, especially during the last two years of the pandemic. We've done training sessions with groups of NGOs. Uh, we've uh, gone and met uh, many of the large, if I, I would probably say we met every single large and mid-sized NGO across the major cities of India. Uh, and uh, yeah, so we've, we've done many of these things. And today, most of what happens for us is, is word of mouth. Uh, we, uh, people, NGOs get referred to us either by donors, volunteers, uh, technology developers, uh, chartered accountants, so uh, other volunteers, you know, other donors and volunteers who've experienced us uh, elsewhere. Uh, so that's what uh, drives us today. Mm. So what made you like change the pricing from pure transaction to transaction plus subscription? I think uh, we realized very quickly that uh, when we started, we got a lot of NGOs. On board. In fact, I think in the first six months itself, we had more than 300 NGOs on board. And, uh, but none of them were raising money. Because it was free, uh, NGOs which had six payment gateways took us on as the seventh payment gateway. Uh, and there was no reason for them not to use us. Right? I mean, so it became like one more thing to do. And a lot of them have this misconception that the more the payment gateways I have, the more the money that I will get. Because the payment gateway will generate money for me. So we said that this is obviously not working for us because we are having more and more NGOs but we are not generating any revenue uh, out of them. So we said we need a sustainable model to make sure that this happens. So we actually started with a one-time fee first. Because we have a one-time cost in terms of just ensuring, uh, you know, onboarding process completion. So we started with one-time cost. Uh, and then we soon realized that, hey, you know, NGOs, I think, we think can pay a subscription fee, an annual fee. And that will allow us to keep upgrading our platform, keep growing, be sustainable, most importantly, and uh, keep offering a higher quality of service. And the beautiful thing that we observed in the next six months as we made this monetization journey was that we started getting better quality of NGOs. We started getting NGOs which were raising more money. It was almost as if NGOs thought that because you are asking us to pay um, pay money, you are better you will take us more seriously and you will give us better service. You are uh, higher quality and so we will now invest with you. And at the same time, all those NGOs who are taking the six, taking the six, seventh payment gateway started dropping out. So now our effort, our resources were very, you know, clearly aligned in the direction of making a greater impact in terms of the ones which were raising more money, the ones which actually had a need, the ones which were well known. Uh, it got very well aligned with that. And uh, you know, that's how we made the shift. So uh, did you uh, register this as a for-profit or a non-profit? It's registered as a for-profit. 
the idea for me was always that if you are doing an activity which can be sustainable you must always do it in a sustainable manner uh, you must not you know go under the garb of a non profit get grant and do it in a inefficient manner so if something can be done in a manner which is commercially viable it should be done that way because there are anyway enough many things which can't be done like that and those are the things which really should be done in the non profit and they should get the non profit grant the non profit money okay so your initial product would have been the automation of donation workflow then when did you launch the engagement product so we launched the engagement product i think about 3 uh, years ago uh, so about 2 uh, and a half years after or 3 years after we started uh we launched the engagement product to uh make sure uh, to make sure that the newsletter tools but the campaign piece we started in 6 months itself 6 months after we launched we started the campaign piece wherein uh, these campaigns were going on and now we've been doing that for the last 5 years uh, campaigns go out every month on a uh, without disruption so that's something that happened. this campaign is uh, like is it a dana mojo campaign where multiple ngos are featured in one mail or does each ngo get its own campaign so this is actually a standardized campaign where for example it is saying that it divides christmas why don't you donate so it's a standard campaign but it will go it will have the link of the ngo that you previously donated for so if you have donated to an ngo a when you get this campaign it will be ngo a's link when i get this campaign it will be ngo b's link so the campaign is standardized but it goes to the appropriate uh, link of wherever you are so we we never mix and match this if you are donated to ngo a you will only get communication with respect to ngo a yeah, and it's like a white labeled offering like there's no danamojo logo in it anywhere there will be a danamojo logo but it will it is the idea is that it is coming from the ngo and uh, if so essentially that ngo's database is getting targeted for that campaign that's right that's right and and if someone is present in two different databases then you'll get two different mails like one from each ngo yeah then you'll get one from each ngo these uh, monthly campaigns that you're running for them like are they like highly templatized where you don't need much input or, because i'm just thinking that it sounds very manual no uh, if you need to like send updates so like i said they are standardized campaigns they are not a ngo specific campaign so it runs in one effort uh, complete i mean it's not completely automated but it is semi automated in the sense that uh, it is the same template same graphic we are not taking any inputs from the ngos for this NGOs only have an option of either opting into the campaign or opting out of the campaign. They don't have the option of changing the campaign, and they can choose which mail ID it's going from. Like, like it can go from their own mail ID, or it goes from a. Uh, currently, no. It currently goes from our mail ID only. But if the if a donor replies to it, it will go to them directly. So th- this would mostly be like topical stuff, like you said, Christmas, New Year, and exactly, and something which is just, uh, standardized, right? Holy, Diwali. it cannot be something which is like you know environment or child welfare or because it is cost specific it will not apply to all ngos so it is something which is very very commonalized across the board what next in your product roadmap like when do you plan to launch a crm kind of a product and what will that look like and how will that be useful for an ngo so that's what is our journey now for over the next one year uh, this is exactly what we even uh, raise funding for from rohini nelakani and tata trust a social alpha wherein we are looking to uh, build a crm to help them do a lot more automation uh, and to give them lot more insights from this from their own data because eventually what you want to be able to do is to say that when should i write to a donor such that he is most likely to donate and will donate to me right 
that is the real insight that you want from any CRM. Uh, and that's what we are looking to build over the next. And so that's to give them lots of reporting, actionable saying, hey, who donated one year ago but have not donated? Who donated in this month, one year back? Who has donated, who has not donated in the last one year? Uh, and then to be able to send them uh, campaigns and templates on uh, mails on that kind of stuff. Developing the reporting, developing the action and developing the templates to make all of this a lot more seamless. Will they need to actually do this stuff like look at reports and make campaigns and run it or will it just be like nudge based where, where you your system will offer a recommendation that send this campaign and they just have to do single click and it's done. Like what will it be? Yeah, so that's what the aim is. I think the eventual aim is to actually say that is not even to have nudge base and make a click. It's to say, yes, I want to send this type of campaign and please keep doing this every month. So it should not even require my intervention. The, the system will automatically figure out using some algorithmic logic that these are the people to target, this is the mails to send and uh, so on. Correct. And they'll, they will just you know enable it. So they'll, they'll have that option of saying, do I want to do it manually, automated, or who do I want to send, what template? But the easiest option of saying just do it every month will also be there. Mm-hmm. And then stuff like how if I uh, put a product to my cart, then uh, Amazon will send me a mail a day later that, uh, you know, that let's say quantity is limited by now or whatever, like because they know I want to buy that. Yeah. So that's something we've already done always. Uh, right from day one, I think that was always there that... Uh, you know, the cart abandonment thing that if you've not uh, donated, then you can donate. So that's always been part of our strategy. So those nudges, uh, two donors will also, like some of them are automated and then they will further get automated. And we also want to, we're looking at building a lot more tools which are more also uh, both NGO and donor centric. So like I said, uh, building a donor dashboard, right? Uh, so that the donor has access to his history. So like on Amazon, you have my transaction history, uh, providing an access uh, to their donation history providing a way for the donor to just download that information such that it is available in a manner ready for him to file returns with his income tax returns, right? Uh, because that's what a donor really cares about. Uh, and uh, so so having all of that in place, a lot of new regulation has come in, which will also require the, com- the NGOs to file this with the income tax department. So providing uh, interfaces, providing flows, which make all of this a lot more simple to manage from a compliance perspective. Uh, is is very important for us uh, as well this year. So this donor dashboard will be white labeled for each NGO separately, or it will be like on Dana Mojo. A donor can log in and see all NGOs that are Dana Mojo customers to whom. Both will be possible. So a donor will be able to look at it in holistic across all NGOs that is donated from Dana Mojo's platform, or across the, or only for the NGO if he goes via the. NGOs platform. And uh, are you also planning to offer a website builder? Like, you know, that that is one element of Shopify so far that you've not done. Is that on your product roadmap? No, I don't think we want to do that because like I said, website is available with a lot of NGOs. Uh, plus a website builder is something which has no NGO specific element in it. Uh, right? You can, you can have a website builder for any sector and, you know, an NGO can build on it. So we don't want to do anything which can be done for any sector. We want to only do those things which are very NGO specific. Because if they can be done for any sector, then other players and other tools will be far more efficient at doing it. If you're building for a much wider audience, then you'll obviously be better at it also. We want to only do those things which no one else will do for the NGO sector. I don't agree here because uh, you own that customer. Why not give him everything? Uh, because you, you, if you tomorrow tell that customer for an additional this much fees annually, 
I will also give you a platform like say Wix, you know, Wix is that uh, self-service website builder platform through which not only can you build your website, but you can update it regularly without going through the pain of calling your developer and you can have a chatbot in it also and you can have all of these features and and, i mean you can do that no because you own the relationship so why not monetize further and give them a single one-stop offering like a full stack offering couple of things first of all an ngo person like i said is not technologically advanced right he cannot do any of this on his own even if you give him a platform which is why i said my platform is a platform where it will work automatically and you don't need any manual intervention if you don't want to do it. Only if you want advanced features, do you need to intervene manually. Now, if you're given such a platform, it means I have to build on it. He's not going to be able to do it. Now, this becomes a service offering. We don't want to be in the service space because we do not believe that this is monetarily remunerative at the same level as a platform or a product space. We think that's the best approach with the NGO space. Second, instead of build, and this is cost a lot to build out. You cannot, uh, you know, you cannot build a separate version of Wix and say that it doesn't have all the features, but I will yet charge something for it. So it's not remunerative. It's not efficient. If I'm building something, I might as well sell it to everybody. Why should I restrict it to the NGO space? There is no value to that. Third, if I own the customer, I will develop a reseller model with a Wix, right? I can always develop a reseller model with Wix and sell that to the customer rather than sell it as a, uh, build it myself, right? But even that I don't want to do because that is deviating from my purpose and my core of what I am trying to do. I am not trying to be a service provider to my customer. I am trying to build a certain product, a certain value and say that's what I will provide to my customer. Uh, and that is what I am going to get more and more customers for. Uh, so it is about, it's a different approach uh, in that sense. Uh, just because I sell one thing doesn't mean I can fulfill everything. That tomorrow I will build an accounting system I'll try and replace tally values. Well, I want to be, I will never be able to be in spaces which are already occupied, right? I want to be in spaces which are not occupied. They are also more lucrative. They are also more value adding, uh, not just to the engine, but society in general, right? No point in building stuff which is already there. So that's where we are uh, focused on. Obviously, if you have a value proposition in a space, which is better than what current offerings are, then yes, we will certainly again position it as a product, as a platform, uh, and do more around it. There would be a new breed of NGOs which have more tech-savvy founders who are actually able to make use of a self-service website building tool. Absolutely. I think all the new kids uh, are, are definitely in the arena that you see, but they will also use a big platform. Why would they choose to use a new platform, something which is recently developed, something which is not going to be at that level at which a big sort of WordPress can be today? So, uh, uh, so I don't see any value that we are able to provide that is better than that beyond owning the customer. And in all honesty, you start from a website. You don't start from a payment gateway. So the guys who really own the customer, then is Wix and uh, WordPress not help. There is a platform play uh, to be chased um, because you have data. You have data of, let's say, lakhs of donors in India. Uh, there could be a play in terms of uh, like, Cross promotion, you know, uh, because if you know that these people are interested in one cause, then you could present to them a curated set of NGOs around that cause. You know, I mean, you you have this preferences, uh, like you have this demographic, psychographic data of donors that has value in it, no? So we don't consider that we have data of the donor because this donor has been brought by the NGO itself. 
So it is the NGO donor. It is not our donor. The day we use the donor for any other purpose, we have lost the NGO as a customer. We have lost the trust of the NGO. So for us, the NGO is our customer, and all the donors who are coming are really customers of that NGO. So for us, there is absolutely you know no double thought around the fact that you know this is not our data to use or mine or to do in any way. Apart from helping the NGO itself, but it sets up a flywheel effect of the fact that, like you said, that for a lot of NGOs they think payment gateway banana means or donation banana, and then you actually become that payment gateway because then the moment you are able to give curated recommendations, then more people want to sign up on the platform because they know that I will get additional donations. Right, but let's let's take this argument. Right, I I will argue that it's not a flywheel; it's a spiral to destruction. um so what kind of ngos will sign up for the platform the ones who have donor or the ones who don't have donor the ones who don't have donor will sign up as soon as i start doing it what kind of ngos will sign off the platform so i basically land up in a space where all the ngos who gave me donors have left all the ngos who don't have donors are there and this is uh, basically exactly what happened in the beginning which is why we changed the model so it's a very it's very counterintuitive but that's exactly what's very important to understand that uh, you have to gain the trust of your customers uh, and what is most important to any one of them is their donor privacy their donor data being secure uh, in fact we ourselves very proactively in our agreement have put in an nda clause saying the donor data is not our data the donor data is your data we will do nothing with this data in fact we have not even gotten into the fundraising model to show that our business model is not around you know doing fundraising our business model is around helping ngos do fundraising right so we will never do it directly but we will help you with the tools the systems the processes that are required so that you can do it and i think that has helped us tremendously because we've uh, we are one of the very few platforms i would say or one of the only platforms which has also had very large ngos use our services and share their donor data with us as part of our uh, platform So we work with all the large NGOs from you know World Vision to Akshay Patra to Cry. This was the spotlight presented by the Podium. To listen to more such interesting conversations, log on to thepodium.in.